It's good to see everybody, and um, I am pleased to continue um, what we've been doing for the past several weeks, which is actually going through a series called Amazing Grace. It is a series that we started off really at the beginning of this year, whenever we were going through um, a time of fasting and prayer. And so if you follow us on Instagram or things like that, you might have seen different posts about that. And it was to encourage people in their personal devotion times and their study about this amazing grace that God has for each of us. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where we left off last week and continue to dovetail because when we were talking last week, we were talking about the uh, justifying grace of God where we said that if we're all going to have a relationship with God, it's all going to be dependent on our eternity, in fact, is dependent on his justifying grace, meaning that what Jesus did for us is what makes us innocent in the sight of a holy, righteous, heavenly father that we're all going to have to be reconciled to one day. Now, here, here's the thing. The justifying grace of God proceeds out of his abundant grace, right? His abundant grace, which is what we talked about the week prior to that, that the only reason we can approach God in the first place is because he's magnanimous in heart and he has an abundant grace towards us that we can approach him because he's kind and he's good and he's loving and all of these good things. And he expressed all of that on the cross in the midst of his justice, in the midst of his judgments, in the midst of his wrath. He said that he was both the one who was just meaning dealing with the sin on the cross of Jesus and the justifier, meaning providing for the way of justification through the cross of Jesus for those who come to him through the cross of Jesus. And so today, building on top of abundant grace, justifying grace, and justifying grace, we're going to talk today about sanctifying grace. We're going to be talking today about sanctifying grace. And it's literally the grace that transforms our life, the grace that transforms our lives. Even as our eternity is settled because of his amazing grace, the great news is that the same grace that was made available to transform our eternity is also available as we live in our present reality. So what is the point of this? It's that grace transforms not only your eternity, but it it transforms how you live today. It transforms your behavior. It transforms how you live, your interactions with people. It transforms literally who you are because God's grace is so abundant in you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good news to us today, that this grace is available to us all. God, we're thanking you that it's not just transformative for our eternity. It's not just um, uh, transformative for the way that we think about you, but it's transformative in the way that we live. And God, we pray that we would receive that grace and be able to walk in it today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right, so if any of you um, have actually been a movie watcher recently, how many people like me are appreciative of the fact that this is the golden age of Marvel movies? Anybody at all? Okay, see, I was a comic buff growing up, and I was still at my uh, family's home um, down in Charleston, South Carolina, where my parents live. There are boxes. There are boxes of comics, and every time I take my kids down there, they're leafing through them, and I'm like, don't touch that. <laughs> you know, don't take it out of the plastic, right? That might, be, that might actually send you to college one day. And so <laughs> what I'm doing is that I'm actually enjoying the movies that are being put on the screen um, nowadays because they're parables. They're like modern-day parables for 
of the things that God wants to speak to society when they don't have an ear to listen. But one of the uh, recent movies, obviously, that you saw was Endgame. How many people saw Endgame? And the thing about Endgame was it was a picture of this man, Thanos, right? This man, Thanos, who went throughout the universe looking for the stones, looking for the stones that would enable him to wield unlimited power, right? But the thing about that power that he was looking for is that ultimately when he snapped his fingers, it came back on him to destroy him, right? Like presently, what we see though in humanity is that everybody's looking for a power to be better, a power to live differently, a power to actually be free from the things that have actually been destroying their lives. The difference with the grace of God is that when God's power actually appears in your life and you actually come to him, when he snaps his fingers, it's not to destroy you, but it's to empower you. It's not to destroy you, but it's to free you. It's to empower you to live in the life that he actually created you to live in. And so when we look today at the Bible, we're going to look at Titus chapter 2. And we're going to look at Paul writing to the church and explaining this power, this grace of God that was given to the church to live differently. Because it's not enough that you just show up at church believing certain things. You've got to be transformed by that which you believed so that you can actually be not only right with God, but actually walk out his purposes for your life. So chapter 2, verse 11, let's start reading together today. It says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. The grace of God has appeared, not just to allow us to do whatever we want to do, Not just to overlook the way we live after we say we believe because we think that God's going to forgive us whatever we do. But he says the grace of God has appeared to change you. The grace of God has appeared so that you can live a particular way. And this way that he said to live is self-controlled, upright, and godly. And when we talk about godly, that just means reflecting God himself right? So that if you are a Christian or calling yourself a Christian, that means that you should be an imitator of God. That means that when somebody looks at your life, they should say, if God would do it, you're going to do it. If God would think it, you're going to think it. If God would say it, you're going to say it. Why? Because he's called you by his grace to live like him. And he continues on. He says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives when, not later, but in this present age. That means right here and right now. Anybody ever have family you talk like that? Sort of like, when I need you to do something, I don't need you to do it on your own time. I need you to do it right here and right now. Anybody know what I'm talking about when you have parents telling you to do something? They're like, don't just get on when you get to it, right here and right. That's what God's talking about. In this present age, let's continue. As we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Continue. Who gave himself for us to redeem us, which means to buy us back from all lawlessness. And when it's talking about lawlessness, it's talking about the breaking of his commands that are contrary to his character. 
when I'm living in sexual immorality. I'm breaking God's commands in lawlessness, living contrary to his character. When I'm living in drunkenness, I'm breaking God's commands, living in lawlessness, contrary to his character, no matter what anybody else tells me. Because there's only one judge, right? Remember all the songs back in the day? Only God can judge me. Anybody ever used to listen to that? Only God can, okay, you guys are too young. So here's the thing. It's sort of like, but you've heard that before, right? Only God could judge me, but here's the point. He will, he will. And he's saying, turn away from lawlessness by my grace because I want to purify you. He says to purify him for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous, zealous, meaning you're excited. You're excited, you're anxious, you're getting up, ready to rock in the day. Zealous for good works. Not zealous to pursue sin, not zealous to pursue the way everybody else is living. See, I used to be a party hopper. Not zealous for the next party. You know what I mean? Thinking that I'm gonna bump, bump again tonight and then regret it the next um, morning. But instead, I'm zealous now for good works. Say, God, wake me up. Wake me up, so give me my purpose. Show me how I can honor you. Show me how I can glorify you. Show me how I can walk with you in such a way that it not only honors and pleases you, but transforms someone else's life on the way. Zealous for good works. This is the grace of God which appeared. But the background to this text is that when Paul was writing, <coughs> excuse me, to this group of people, Paul was writing to Titus, who he left in Crete, which was a city back in the Roman Empire, to help establish a church there. Titus was confronted with the challenges of false teachers. False teachers who were telling people they can live whatever way they want to live and be right with God. Anybody ever heard that before? It's like, you no know, matter how you live, God will forgive you. Well, how many people know that's a lie? Hello? You can't just live whatever way you want to and show up in his house talking about, well, we're still, we're still cool, right? We're still good, right? He said, if you've received the grace of God, then don't trample the blood of the Son of God underfoot again, but treat it as a holy thing. Whenever we're taking communion week after week, honoring the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus, it's honoring a holy thing that his life had to be laid down to pay a price for the wrong that we committed and the wrong that we did. But as we honor him, guess what? He empowers us to turn away from those things. It's not that he just frees us from the penalty of it because of the cross. He frees us from the power of it. Amen. The power of sin, you get that? It's not just the penalty of sin that he frees you up from, from through the cross, but it's the power of it, meaning that you can, through the grace of God, be and live differently. That's good news. That is good news. God doesn't command you to do something that he won't back you up and help you to accomplish. Whenever Jesus gave commands, he said, listen, do what I do. Say what I say. I'm doing even, my, even in the baptism of Jesus Christ. He got baptized not because he was a sinner. He got baptized not because he ever sinned, but he got baptized so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And if you haven't gotten baptized since you've repented and turned to God, you need to get baptized. You need to be united in the death of Christ so that through your faith in the power of God, you might be separated from your old man and old woman and come into the newness of life. 
But Jesus did it to fulfill all righteousness so that you might say, hey, if he did it, I'm gonna do it too. Jesus set an example for us in everything. And that's the good news because when the grace of God appears, he said, listen, I'm also understanding of what you're going through when you're going through it. Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus was tempted? He didn't sin, but he was tempted in every way. And when he says every way, he means every way. Every way, just as you and I are, yet was without sin. Meaning that he said, I felt it, I experienced it. Why? Because he was completely God, but he was also 100% human too. So he felt the temptation, but he obeyed God nonetheless. And in the same way, when God comes to make a home in us, he gives us grace to follow in his stead. That you don't have to be bound by sin anymore. Not only did Jesus set the example, but his appearing to you gives you the power to live like him. Isn't that good news? It's good news in him because of his grace that we would live differently. And so Paul's giving Titus these guidelines on leadership and how to address the doctrinal issues that are plaguing that congregation. Aside from that, the lifestyle of the professed Cretan believers was questionable at best because they continued to live lives that were not consistent with the teachings and example of Jesus Christ. Crete was known in the ancient world for immorality and a sinful lifestyle. Anybody know that like Chicago, where, where we live, it's known for immorality and a sinful lifestyle. Everybody understand that, right? People from around the Midwest leave their small towns to come to the big city. Why? Many times so they could be free. Free to do what they want thinking that they could do it in secret, that nobody else will know. I can hide myself. I can do what I want and hide myself in this place. Nobody will know. Nobody will be talking about me. Why? Because there are 2.7 million people. And if I, don't, if I want to hide, I can hide. This is what the Cretans were like there. They said about the people that their, their own people, they were always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. They said that about their own people. But what God is saying through Paul is that when amazing grace comes, it transforms not just our eternity, but also our present reality. He said in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Well, number one, it starts off by saying that God's grace appeared. Grace, again, for those of you who haven't been with us, means unmerited favor. We're all undeserving of God's grace. So if you feel like you're already hearing this and like, well, whoops, I blew it up. Well, this isn't for me or well, I'm on the outside of this. Well, here's the good news. Grace, when we're talking about grace, it means unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor. I didn't deserve it, but God gave, me, gave it to me anyway. And it appeared, it is God who initiated the disposal of his grace. It's God who initiated it. Meaning the relationship that you think you're trying to walk out with God Here's the good news. Because he initiated it, he's working on your behalf to complete it. Isn't that good news? He's fighting for you, not against you. Good news, right? Because he initiated it, he's the one who's trying to bring it to completion. He's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to catch you, right? That's what I used to think about God like. Like he was some sort of cosmic killjoy or cosmic police, always waiting to catch me when I did wrong. It's like, ah, got you, Ron, like he was going to jump out of the shadows. It's like, ha, I knew you'd mess up. That's not God's heart. 
God's heart is, I'm for you, not against you. I'm trying to help you. I died for you and was raised again so that you can be free. Not so that you can live in condemnation as you continue to live in that old way of life. And Jesus Christ, but get this now, when he appeared is the incarnation, meaning that grace became flesh, and the incarnation, manifestation, and appearance of the grace of God. The fitting purpose of this appearance was found in the second part of the verse, bringing salvation to all people. So Jesus manifesting the grace of God was for what purpose? To bring salvation to all people. That means it's good news for you. If you've ever disqualified yourself, don't do it anymore. Because he said the grace of God, he's came to bring salvation for all people. That means you. That means no matter how bad I've been, that means me. That means no matter what I've done, that means me. Good news, right? No matter what your history is, that means you. When he talks about bringing salvation for all people though, salvation was made available through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That means for male and female, at that time, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and masters. This verse was, did not say that all humankind will be saved. Let me, let me get that doctrinally straight. He's not saying that all humankind will be saved, but explains how humanity is to be saved by the grace of God. You understand the difference? Because just because I put a million bucks on the table in a bag all wrapped up doesn't mean everybody's going to walk home with it, right? If I put this bag down on the table, I say, hey, this is good news for you. And you'd be like, I don't know you, Ron. And you walk out that door. That's no use to you, right? You've got to receive the gift that's given to you. He said to all who received him, to all be who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those born not of human decision or natural descent or a husband's will, but born of God. He says it's appeared to bring salvation to all humanity. It does not mean likewise that salvation to humanity was not available before the appearing of Jesus Christ. Because even as he said in 2 Timothy 9, 9 and 10, he says, the grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Meaning that got a, he had a plan. From the beginning, he had a plan. God wasn't surprised and said, oh my goodness, they sinned. What am I going to do? He had a plan from the beginning. And so when he saw your life unveiling and the results of the sin in your life and all the mistakes that were made and the consequences that came from it, whether it be failed marriages, failed parenting, failed relationships in the past, he says, listen, he's not surprised, but he had a plan. And he said, from the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Yes, God's grace transforms our eternity, but it does more than that. I say it again. It also enables us to live here and now victoriously. God's amazing grace transforms not just the way we, live, um, the way we think about where we're going, but the way we live, and that's called sanctification. Where last week we were talking about justification, where he says, I want to count you innocent in my sight. 
This scripture is talking about sanctification, how he changes you. Meaning he's setting you apart, step by step to himself. This is what verse 12 says again. He says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace is not just a past event. It's not just a past event, but it's a present reality for all believers. The grace of God was not just poured out one time in a big event and then, <clears throat> and then left when Jesus ascended into heaven, but instead it's a present reality to empower and transform us. When Jesus was talking in John 14, he expresses this grace. In John 14, he talks about his leaving, but what he would do in the midst of his leaving. He said, I'm leaving, I'm going to ascend. I mean, uh, I think back in the day always about how privileged they were to walk with Jesus in the flesh. Anybody ever does have a, you, you wish you could have been with Jesus in the flesh, right? Carrying his boom box. Right? Like when Jesus was like, let's roll. You're like, and he was like, be healed. Right? That, oh, listen, I, w- I would have been that dude. <laughs> you know, just walking with Jesus and be like, yeah, Jesus is about to show up. <laughs> right? But he said, listen, it's better for you that I go. It's better for you that I go because unless I go, I can't send to you the gift my father promised you, which is the Holy Spirit, meaning God himself, his spirit to come and dwell inside of you, which is going to be his empowering presence to empower you with his grace. Jesus said this, John 14, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm gonna leave you to fend for yourself. He said, I will come to you. You hear that? That's Trinitarian language. You get that? Jesus is obviously not with us in the flesh, but he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What's he talking about? I will come to you. The Holy Spirit whom he's gonna send, right? The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ. He says, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Continue. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and do what? Manifest myself to him. Meaning I'll show up. I'll make an appearance, right? I will be present and active in your life. That's what he's saying. You see that? So what that means is that God is promoted from being just informational to transformational. You see that? Because what most people have done is relegated their Christianity to the information they have about God rather than relating to God and being transformed by him. But what Jesus is talking about is a present reality grace to empower and transform you, not just to give you information. This is what he's talking about here. On the cross, our sins have been dealt with once and for all, once again, justification. But those who are called to follow Christ are called to a lifetime of carrying their cross daily a continuous process of being transformed into the image of Christ, meaning I'm made to look like him. A process called sanctification. 
If justification saved us from the penalty of sin, sanctification enables us to live victoriously over the power of sin. Make sense? The gospel of Christ is the only source of godliness. Grace appeared so that we can live his word in truth and deed. Martin Luther, one of the founders or the catalyst for the Reformation, he said it this way, there is no justification without sanctification. See, there's no call to innocence without him starting a process of working in you to transform you. You get that? He said there's no justification without sanctification. No forgiveness without renewal of life. Why? Because if I'm asking somebody to forgive, when I hit them in the face and then I ask them to forgive me, but in the next moment I do what? Hit them in the face again. Eventually they're going to be like, listen, I want to forgive you, but you're going to need to put that fist down. You're going to need to stop hitting me, right? You ask for forgiveness, but do something different. He's saying no forgiveness without the renewal of life, him making you a new creation. No real faith from which the fruits of new obedience do not grow. Make sense? He's saying that if there's real faith, it's gonna produce obedience in us. If I really believe on the streets of Chicago that one day I'm walking home and then somebody comes up behind me and says, stick something in my back and says, give me your wallet. I'm going to laugh if I think it's just their fingers. I mean, fool, get off me, right? But if I really believe that somebody's holding a gun to my back, guess what I'm gonna do? Empty my pockets and say, can I call you an Uber? <laughs> right? It's going to provoke something different in me. This is what he's saying about obedience. If you really believe that he is Lord of all and that he's gonna come one day to judge the living and the dead, you're gonna do things differently. Make sense? All right, we'll keep going then. <coughs> Excuse me. But just like the Cretans during the, that time who have been trained in the ways of the world, Paul is saying that we need to be trained, not according to the world, but according to his word. You hear that, people? We need to be trained according to his word. If any of you have ever been a musician in here, we have any musicians in here? Okay, what do you have to do? You have to be trained, right? Musically, you have to practice again and again. If you've been an athlete, you don't just show up. You have to practice again and again if you want to actually be good, right? And he says we have to be trained according to his ways by his word, and this is only possible through the grace of God. God's amazing grace enables us to live in our present reality victoriously. His redemption is followed by transformation. How? By the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, John 14, he continues on. He says, what does that look like? He says, by his word, he trains us how to live in his grace. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance what I've said to you. How did Jesus overcome the devil? How did Jesus live in the grace of the heavenly father? He overcame him by the word of God, right? So if you're barely feeding on the word and expecting to be strong, guess what? You're deceiving yourself. Has anybody ever seen somebody pass out before because they were too faint? They were on like maybe some sort of like weird diet. 
like at work and then like, you know, they were like, listen, I'm gonna drop 30 pounds in a week, you know? And it's sort of like, then they passed out. It's because they didn't have enough, ca- enough calories, enough nutrition in them to perform, right? In the same way, he says, my word is that nutrition for your soul, your spirit. And if you don't have enough in you, you're not going to be labeled to live in his grace. Make sense? He said, this is your food so that you can live in my grace. And if you're not feeding on it or you're barely feeding on it, you shouldn't expect that you do things opposite his grace. You should be surprised rather. What does the Holy Spirit's manifestation do? As he reminds us, it teaches us to do two things, according to that scripture in Titus. It teaches us to say no, number one, and then number two teaches us to say yes. It teaches us, first of all, to say no, and then secondly, it teaches us to say yes. Saying no, number one, it teaches us to say no, meaning to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God teaches us to say no, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Renounce literally means to break loyalty or allegiance. To break loyalty or allegiance. Anybody ever have a crew they like used to roll with and then you got recruited into another one? A group of friends? Okay, yeah, but nobody had that like middle school experience? Okay, <laughs> sort of like, yo, you're not gonna roll with them anymore. You're, gonna, you're my boy. You know, it's like, all right, cool. Listen, renouncing is to break the loyalty that you have to one thing and to have a, place your allegiance in another. As a new creation, our allegiance, our loyalty is now in Christ, not to our culture, not, more so not to the standards of the world. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean we should be doing it, right? Hello, right? Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean we should be doing it. Jesus said we are in the world, but not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, so we should have a perspective and live with a perspective of eternity. His amazing grace sanctifies our standards and our worldviews. Our perspective of eternity affects our, and should affect our current reality. Because I know I'm gonna have to give an account to him one day, it affects what I do today. Ungodliness and worldly passions imply things like immorality, religiosity, self-centeredness, pride, and things of that nature. All of these we can say no to because of the grace of God. The same grace that raised Jesus from the dead and redeemed us from the power of sin is the same grace that enables us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Same grace. What a liberating thing. We're not trapped. We're not powerless, but we are also left with no excuse. To say yes. Say yes to what? Saying yes to living up, self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. What does that mean? Self-controlled naturally relates to one's personal life so that we are free under God's control to overcome life-dominating patterns. When he gives you his grace, it's so that you can overcome those things that you used to be internally trapped by. Good news, right? Number two, upright, relates to one's relationship with others or to our neighbor in fairness, integrity, honesty, and truthfulness, right? We live in that way. 
Godly naturally pertains to one's relationship with God and that one's life is centered on him as the primary object of worship and on his will and purposes. This transforms the foundation and source of motivation and control for uh, the other two relationships, meaning that it's he, he's our, my primary source of motivation for why I do everything when I get up every day. And finally, it's a blessed hope. His amazing grace does not just transform our eternity, but it enables us to live victoriously, but it's also a hope as we pray patiently for his glory. The last part of the passage again reads this way. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up um, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Yes, ultimately our blessed hope will come and redeem us, but until then we are confident that we can live victoriously in this present age. What that means is this, that ultimately... Like Thanos, you don't have to search for a power that's going to ultimately destroy you. When you're in pursuit of a power, it's a power that will not destroy you, but empower you and change you. Why? Because God himself initiated it by giving us that grace. God himself initiated it by giving us that grace, and he's not trying to withhold it from you. The Bible narrative is that God's the one who initiated it, and when grace appeared, it's not to destroy, but to restore us to live victoriously. So what that means for believers is that we need to ask this question. Are there patterns of ungodliness and worldly passions that you need to say no to? Are there patterns of ungodliness and worldly passions that you came in with that now you need to say no to? We need to think and then respond, right, to God. Do you need the grace of God to help you, not just to say no, but to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age? If so, that's what you need to cry out for today. Today, as you meet with him. If you've not yet submitted to Jesus, here's the good news. Today is your day to receive God's grace by acknowledging the finished work of Jesus on the cross you can turn to him today and say, God, change me. Don't just change everybody else, but I want your grace. Change me, forgive me, make me a new creation. I don't want just my friend who like has been talking to me about it and brought me to church to be the one to receive it. I want to receive it. And you know what he says? I'll draw near to you and change you. Why? Because when we talk about this grace, it's God's grace made visible. It's God's grace made available. It's God's grace that enables. The person of grace is Jesus Christ. The purpose of grace is sanctification and transformation. And the reward of grace is ultimately your glorification in him. And if you believe that, then you can receive that and he'll make you a new creation today. And he'll dispense his grace to you as a believer today in his mighty name for his glory. Amen.